It's the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, and it's episode 70. Monday, September 25th, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. It's an all-star superstar spectacular today with Jason Cooper, research analyst. Welcome. Hey, Danny. How's the new baby, by the way? Doing well. Thank good, you. Good, good. And Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. Well, I'll kick it off with an overview that just before we get started to thank all our listeners that come back week after week. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend, colleague, or family member. We, we really enjoy making these. Upcoming uh, this week in terms of economic data, it's the last week of the quarter. We got some regional Fed releases from Chicago, Dallas, and Richmond. Tuesday, we're getting new home sales, building permits, consumer confidence. So we got more housing data on top of last week. It's really good data. Thursday, we got final GDP. I know I've said this before, but we generally get three GDP reports at the end of every month that are related to the previous quarter. So this is just the final GDP for the second quarter. The revisions from you know last month, August 31st, are really interesting to get a handle on GDP. Friday is a big data day. We've got Mich- Michigan consumer sentiment, related indicators, you know, the inflation expectations and so forth. And on top of that, we got PCE or personal consumption expenditures and core PCE, something the Fed watches when they are determining Fed rate changes. So let's uh, start out with strengths. Jason, what do you have for strengths? It's kind of been a continuation the entire third quarter, this being the last week of the quarter. Still important to talk about energy. WTI crude, it's effectively rallied from 70 at the start of the quarter, closed last week at about 91. And and then we also heard from Russia, I think it was last Thursday, they uh, effectively banned gasoline and diesel exports to nations outside of the Moscow-led economic union. The official reasoning pointed to, to tight domestic market. That could make sense given the production cuts, but it's also possible that they're using fuel as a weapon. Western European countries are susceptible, and that could lead to an increase in crack spreads, which would be really beneficial towards refiners, but maybe not so beneficial towards consumers. And that would really represent a continued perspective tailwind for the energy sector. So not only is it a strength, but maybe even a potential opportunity. In terms of strength, more recent low volatility sectors, we see this in the trading and screens that we run often. They tend to be outperforming on a relative basis. So you know money flows are going to consumer staples, utilities, and healthcare. Another area that uh, is defensive in nature is business services. They're holding up strongly, so they tend to do well in less volatile and highly fragmented markets. We always talk about quality, and Todd, I'll I'll mention something's quality. You say, what is quality? And I come back to you and I say, it's a company that tends to have lower volatile earnings streams. They're not very susceptible to cyclical or economic conditions, highly forecastable. And then there's just this persistent ability to grow. Maybe it's not the highest growth rate. It's not a high tech stock, but it's something that compounds over time. Yeah. And just to clarify, I asked that because it's such a a widely used term that people don't, but you always come back with a really good answer. So what is quality? Well, then in, in this situation for these business services companies, they operate in these massive fragmented markets. We tend to gravitate towards the leader. Uh, the leader tends to have more economies of scale, meaning that they have, from a percentage of their total operating expenses, lower fixed costs. And even if you go through a period of economic weakness, based on the fragmented market and their ability to be l- the low-cost provider of the good or service, what they're able to do is 
go do some bolt-on acquisitions. They're effectively the big fish in a, in a small pond. And over time, they may be even to actually benefit from a period of economic weakness. Yeah, so, usually have good margins. Not that that says everything, but to have great margins, they can weather the storm uh, much better. So that's an area that also seems to be holding up pretty well, especially given the volatility in the market last week. Yeah, and uh, we got a company reporting, Cintas. Yeah, Cintas, they, they work predominantly in uh, work uniforms and apparel. They're going to report this week, and we consider that to be the perfect example of a tremendously operated business service company with those massive economies of scale that we previously mentioned. So pretty eager to hear what they have to say about current economic conditions and what that means for their business going forward. The economy's been much better than expected, and, and some of the data's been coming out. Earnings estimates for the market as a whole, or S&P 500, been pretty much sideways for 23 and 24, but still expected to, to go up a bit and grow to about 12% a year. So they may be too optimistic. You know, Brian Jacobson, a chief economist, questioned whether the consumer's experiencing the feast before the famine, you know, and households have locked in lower rates and all that seems good. Uh, 12% earnings growth might be a bit on the high side. So maybe, maybe that's a good time to... Uh turn it over to weaknesses then, Todd. So what are you seeing? Well, S&P is down a couple of percent, but the average stock based on equal weighted index, because you know the S&P 500, as it's popularly looked at, is the market weighted index that, that can be influenced by, you know, five, seven companies. But the equal weighted index is down closer to 4%. NASDAQ similarly down following a strong first half of 23. But the interesting point that we made there is we'll talk about the markets, we'll talk about individual stocks, which we have individual equity portfolios and different strategies. But you also have the core tactical and fund strategies. And those returns will line up more with the equal weighted index, plus the core tacticals more diversified. And the thing that people miss is while that return might be lower, the risk is a lot lower. You know, so that you, while you might look at the S&P market weight, that might be up, I'm making up a number 12%. The equal-weighted S&P 500 is up 6%, and the core tactical fund portfolio might be up 6%. I'm just uh, using an example. But the diversification of that core tactical in a different area, small cap this, emerging market that, international, is really actually resulting in a lower-risk structured portfolio. And then we've got some stocks uh, that have reported earnings, and for, there's almost a macro overlay to what they're seeing. FedEx effectively highlighted that uh, demand's weakening. Uh, their top line growth is kind of flat to down, th th but they beat because they were able to cut back on expenses so much. Then you have Darden, and they're commenting that households, even with those incomes $125,000 and above, are starting to reduce spending when they go out for, for dining experiences. So from a weakness perspective, it kind of makes sense that this is happening. The, the consumer is being pressured. Student loan repayments are starting in October. You have higher energy prices. So from a discretionary uh, income perspective, that's being pared back. You have to fill up your car. You have to get to work. And that's coming out of the discretionary spend. Then lastly, the percent of personal income that's devoted to debt servicing has increased from 1.4 to 2.4%. And even though that's in line with a more historic rate, on a rate of change basis, there's just less money to spend on discretionary goods. You know, one more thing I'd add to that is it's, a, it's kind of an invisible is the higher property taxes. More and more people are, 
are noticing that they're paying a lot more in property taxes, which is going to impact. Another area of weakness has been the treasury market in terms of bond prices. You've seen the 10-year increase from 386 at the start of the quarter to over 448 last week. Real interest rates on a 10-year treasury have gone up by about 40 basis points or half a percent, while inflation expectations ticked up about 20 basis points or a fifth of a percent. But the key there is that real rates are have gone up dramatically, but they're probably near that average. You know, one eight to two three is high by today's standards, but historically is average. But the abrupt increase in real rates have made some things uh, more attractive, which is the perfect segue to go right into opportunities, unless you've got another weakness. No, well, I don't. you don't have any weaknesses, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're turning it over to opportunities, then you're talking about real real rates. What are you thinking uh, yeah. about tips? Uh, I think it's a great opportunity. And so we have in our fixed income holdings, and we've got, um, you know, you can have an accord tactical bond funds and individual bonds. And in the individual bond area, you divide that between corporates and governments for the taxable interest bonds and municipals. Well, in the government space, if you will, tips are the more attractive opportunity. And, they, and there's a couple of reasons why that a lot of people might not realize. Well, government bonds overall, the treasury bonds, the interest is state tax-free. So if you divide by 0.93, a 6% state tax rate, you might find that that quote-unquote taxable yields higher than what you'd get off of municipals. Second, as we discussed amongst the investment team and you and I, about the fact that tips aren't callable bonds. A lot of people don't realize that treasuries are callable bonds. They were called at one point in the early 1990s, and you could be sitting there with, well, the government's calling this bond early. I don't really have a 10-year bond. I have a five-year bond. Those tips are kind of a focal point for an opportunity in the fixed income area. When you think about laddering out individual tips now within a portfolio, that effectively allows you to lock in a real yield as opposed to with nominals, you don't have a hedge against inflation. So not only are you able to, as you pointed out, Todd, lock in that higher real yield that we haven't seen for maybe a decade, but simultaneously, if inflation were to reaccelerate, you're kind of protected against that. Yeah, not only that, even if it was the straight treasuries, I've argued that the risk of those yields going higher and the damage it would do to the bonds is far less than it was a year ago or two years ago. And not only that, but you got more opportunity on the downside for bonds if the Fed starts lowering rates next year. And I think the mark, the equity markets are, are, are ignoring that for the time being, that you, you could look over to the bond market and see you're getting five and a half on treasuries and more than that on corporates. So what else do you have for opportunities? Higher quality, large cap stocks relative to small caps. Um, when you look at the balance sheets of large cap stocks, they tend to be more fortified, uh, especially in the big te tech industries. So they're actually beneficiaries to a degree from all of the, the rate hikes from the Federal Reserve because they weren't earning anything on those cash balances. And now they're earning 5%. Instead of having an interest expense, they have interest income. We had an interesting experience with the Powell Q&A session last week. And he highlighted how inflation like disproportionately impacts those that are living paycheck to paycheck. 100% agree with him. 
but he kind of ignored that uh, the policies favored asset owners over those that lack assets. So if you own a home and you have a 3% fixed mortgage, the real cost to hold that asset declines. You know, you're paying that 3% mortgage. It's not going up, even though the general price level has gone up. So say you're getting a, a wage raise in line with inflation, the percentage of money that you're spending on your mortgage is down. If you have excess savings like these large tech companies do, the deposit that you can earn on cash is 5.5%. So we can have money market mutual funds, short-term treasuries. To Todd's point, with other opportunities, you can ladder it out via nominals or tips and earn a real return now on your cash savings. Right. But if you're not in the situation where you have assets, so like say you didn't have the money to buy a house a couple of years ago, the medium new home price... If you were to look at the cost to buy a new home, like just from a medium median perspective, the pre-COVID cost from a mortgage perspective was $1,200. Now it looks like it's closer to $2,500. That's not including taxes and fees. That's over $30,000 a year. And the median household income in the United States is $70,000, where it was in 2021. So housing's effectively become unaffordable. So when you're thinking about the opportunity, it's invest with those that have assets or kind of be lucky enough to have them. You're in a position to disproportionately benefit. Another opportunity. One more and we'll move on. Be remiss not to mention the opportunity to sell some puts in this environment. We saw the VIX spike, so volatility is increasing. You can get paid more to sell puts. And Todd, what what other options are you You seeing? Yeah, I knew there was one more opportunity you had. And, um, (laughs) And so in that put writing, what's meant by that is you do that for yield. That yield is coming from the cost that people buy puts with, you know, the cost of buying puts on whatever individual stocks or the market as a whole. So that's one of four basic categories when it comes to options. But we utilize all four for different reasons at different times, primarily to enter a position or exit a position or for yield. And I always say there's two overriding factors when it comes to using them as a tool is to alter the risk or reduce the risk or to be risk adverse. And the second is for yield. You know, in the last two weeks, I think we've utilized all four ways to to use them to get into positions or get out. But yeah, great point and opportunity. You always find something that's beaten down to, to write or sell puts for yield. The other flip side of it, I mentioned a couple of maybe a few weeks ago, was buying puts. You know, in in late July, early August, nobody's thinking about the risk of the market. Like I said, they're not paying attention to 5.5% or 5% on treasury yields. So the cost of buying puts to protect was really low, historically low. And the last time I think we've done that was like three and a half years ago. So it's, it's, there's a time and a place for using them and that was another opportunity was to actually buy them on the market to protect your positions without having to actually sell stocks. So let's move on from opportunities to threats. You can just talk about one threat, especially since this has gone on for a bit, but the Fed risks overcorrecting from a monetary policy perspective. And it's basically because they drive by looking in the rearview mirror. Well, at least I think so. Uh, Treasury yields broke out of a trading range last week. You know, if you looked back in October of 2022, they peaked at around 438. Then they bottomed closer to 330 sometime in the beginning of this year. 
they've effectively trended sideways, and then all of a sudden they put in new highs. And last week they topped out at around 450 before retracing to the breakout on Friday. And from a technical perspective, it kind of seems like a beautiful breakout and retracement. And maybe I'm top ticking the move in yields, but it's really not isolated to the United States. We're seeing it in Japan with a 10-year JGB back at 75 basis points. We're seeing it in Germany with a 10-year Bund at 275. The moves are significant and should further tighten financial conditions. Meanwhile, 44% of treasuries are going to mature in the next two years, and the deficit's going to continue to be... I think, around $1.5 trillion. So if rates just stay where they are, the interest costs on federal debt could increase by my calculations by 300 to $400 billion over the next two years. And that's from about $1 trillion on a trailing 12-month basis. That's another massive increase. Meanwhile, the Fed is letting the balance sheet run off. So the marginal buying from the Fed decreased. You know, they used to do QE, now they're doing QT. Foreigners, so at least foreign governments, if you look at their holdings of treasuries, they're certainly not increasing on the margin. So the question is, like, who's the marginal buyer now and what price will that new marginal buyer be willing to accept to kind of come up with an equilibrium price level? Which factors into the higher yields. Right. And so with that said, you know, this is not to, not to think it back, but this is the aftermath of all that quantitative easing. Now you're unwinding it, and this is what you're getting. I can add a couple other threats if you... I, I just think that it's important to think about, like, if yields do go up, what does that do to the financial system? And Todd, you always say, what's your strategy? In this sense, I think it's important to highlight that at Annex, we're being proactive instead of reactive and hashing out this conversation pretty much consistently. So if that does continue to happen, we're going to have an action plan. That's such a good answer. Um, But I'd throw in a couple of other threats that UAW, no resolution that gets extended out and the, you know, the targeted strikes, the government shutdown. We can't leave that one out. I still think that's an opportunity, but I'm biased. <laughs> I know, but it depends on which <laughs> way you're looking at it. And I bought uh, a minivan, so I'm but, hedged. Yeah, very good. But, uh, yeah, so we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. Why don't we go into headlines? Great stuff this week on the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 70. What is our headline strength? This quarter, defense has been the best defense. Headline weakness. Yields up, everything but energy is down. Headline opportunity. Lock in real rates with individual tips and a hedge against resurgent inflation. And a headline threat. The price the new marginal buyer of the Treasury is willing to pay. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. Jason Cooper, Research Analyst. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. And Todd Boyd, Chief Investment Strategy. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.